0: Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by Hordak, Dylamug, Catra, LP, Eternia's premier tax advisors. If you think paying taxes is burdensome, just try collecting them.
0: Welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers. With your host, Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's
1: Kirk, as in the Captain of the enterprise.
0: We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at LGGpod. We also, exciting news, have a webpage set up for the podcast, uh, unexciting news is it's nothing fancy. <laughs> it's just a landing page that basically organizes uh, the information you just heard into one place and provides links to our various platforms. So the website is www.lggpodcast.com. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us now because uh, all of our contact information is there.
1: I don't know. Are we still certified geeks if it took us through Season 2, Episode 8 before we finally set up a, po- a webpage?
0: You know, uh, geeks are notorious. Uh, web pages are so, you know, <laughs> 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> so, so old, dangerous.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So we're going to jump right into our topic today. Um, If you want to listen to us pontificate about other things, uh, I saw Captain Marvel with my kids. Kirk, have you seen it yet? Nope. All right. Well, I may talk about that towards the end, so check out the last uh, 10 minutes or so. But we're going to jump right into our topic because we have a guest today. Uh, We are parting ways with our our prior wandering and meandering uh, uh, treatise on video games and jumping in to cover something that's probably going to be on everybody's mind over the next Ooh, 30 days or so. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> taxes. Your taxes are coming due, folks.
1: So yeah, I think it's it. we're going to be uh, moving on. We're going to talk about some sort of interesting tax issues, some interactions between geek culture and tax issues. And before all of you stop listening and go, tax is boring, uh, we need to realize, no, this is actually should be a very interesting episode. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And part of it's because of our speaker, who is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, our speaker today, our, our guest is uh, one of the attorneys at our firm, uh, Mike Donovan. Uh, Mike, say Hello. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. So Mike, Mike is one of our tax experts. He he knows everything about tax. We he know knows nothing. too much <laughs> about tax. Like, he <laughs> knows more than most human beings should actually know about tax. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a more interesting topic than maybe it sounds like because for well, for one, it, it, we have to deal with it, right? Like a lot of the stuff we talk about is sort of esoteric. Like, yeah. oh, this is things companies deal with. But if you're just an individual, you have to keep track of it and pay your taxes. And so this may be the only episode we ever do that actually is worth monetary value to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs>
1: it's, it's got universal Appeal. It doesn't matter at this point in time, you know, what your background is while you listen to the podcast, you probably have some interaction with the subject matter here.
0: I also think it's interesting because we're talking about this on the way over here. Our tax system is, you know, at least in theory and, and for, I think for practical purposes, voluntarily, you know, it's, it's a voluntary compliance system. The government doesn't really keep track of anything. If I just don't tell them I have a job and I'm making money, unless they audit me, how would they know? Mike, is that right?
2: Well, that's true. Now, if they uh, go by your house, they might have some <laughs> idea that, that you have some gainful employment. Yeah. Uh, those are called lifestyle audits, and uh, <laughs> I suspect that uh, it's not quite as voluntary as your words might, might suggest. There's an but enforcement mechanism, right? Yes, but, but, yes. Uh, I, basically, you,
0: you get caught not complying, but I have no affirmative obligation when I get a job to go tell the government, this is where I'm working and this is how much money they're going to pay me.
2: Well, you you don't have an obligation to tell the government, this is my job, this is yeah. – where I'm working, how much they're going to pay me, you, you do have an obligation to file a return mm-hmm. and tell them exactly how much you got paid at the end of that year. Yeah, but they so. take my word for it, right? And yeah. my
0: employers, if it's being withheld. <laughs>
2: uh, Pretty much, given the
1: funding resources at the IRS, yeah. they, they have to take your word. There isn't that much audit enforcement at this point. I mean, That's one of those things that always sort of fascinates me about the IRS when I think about it is, you know, we're all sending in these checks, you know, whether they're coming in every two weeks in conjunction with withholding, if you pay estimated taxes, whatever it is, they're all coming in basically at sort of fixed windows, like certain days of the week, mm-hmm. things along those lines. Just the sheer amount of mail the IRS must receive, which has checks in it, uh, is really got to be kind of a daunting thing. <laughs> yeah, it it is, and they they have very
2: specific requirements, you know, how quickly they've got to open those, get them entered in the system. Uh, so, you know, if if you think your check is just sitting there on some guy's desk for about
1: three <laughs> months or something like that, uh, that isn't the way it works. It's not but, like grandma's uh, birthday check, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or the birthday card that you find out you got, you know, three weeks ago.
0: Yeah, well, I thought for, for simplicity, because tax is obviously a complicated topic. I, um, we thought for simplicity, we'd mostly stick with talking about the individual federal income tax. That's the one I think probably has the most universal appeal. It's the one everybody has to pay in some way or another. So I thought we'd stick with that. Although it's, it's worth pointing out, there are other taxes that, that we have to pay that affect our lives. But I think it probably in more indirect ways. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but unless you're buying a car or something, how often do you stop and really pay attention to the sales tax on things? Yeah, or the
1: t- which, which yeah. percentage of your gas? Yeah. Of your gas yeah. of gas is actually taxes, which is a relatively a lot, large percentage, yeah. uh, <laughs> not as much as it is in Europe. But yeah, I think it's, you know, the advantage of when we think about taxes, I think we tend to think federal income tax, a little bit state income tax, and even some of our listeners may not have that. I think it's also important, because we do have international listeners to point out, this is U.S. income US, tax law. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are not going to pontificate about, you know, the tax laws in Brazil, well, maybe we will, but uh, <laughs> you know, know. anywhere else around the, or but anywhere else around the world. But you place
2: a little less reliance if we do. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah they, <laughs> That's a reasonable statement. Is you know we are all you know American here, uh, you know so we're we'll start talking about you know foreign countries tax laws. It's it's interesting speculation I think is the answer, and we're going to f- follow our old topic of speculating wildly without providing real yes. answers. Well, and th- I think these these issues
0: come up. I think more probably more now than they did even five years ago because of the gig economy, which I think is going to be uh, a lot of what we talk about today. And and for for those of you on the nerdy side of the spectrum, which is probably most of you if you're listening to Kirk and I, uh, you know most of us probably have dipped our t- into that economy uh, in one way or another, probably not as a, as a career, although some of you I'm sure have. Uh, But just simple things like going on Fiverr and offering, you know, whatever your talents are there. I've got a a friend of mine up in Canada I used to play video games with. He does just amateur portrait sketches of people. And then he, like, mutates them into looking like somebody from one of his favorite shows. So (laughs) if you ever wanted a picture of you as Geordie LaForge, you know, Brandon can do it. Uh, So I think a lot of people uh, are are doing things like that, maybe just for fun, maybe also for some um, some compensation. And I think we also, most of us, have at, at some point won or earned or otherwise gained. Gained something of value from a trivia night or a video game or a poker tournament or something. And so there's really two questions here. One is, you know, what are the things that we get that have value that we should, you know, in theory, be reporting in our taxes? And what are the things that we that go out of our pockets that you can deduct?
1: Yeah. And that's, I think, two halves. And I'd love that it's Mike, to sort of talk about this. But it's, I guess we're going to look at this as taxes being um, one half the, you know, and, and maybe I'm joking with the old simplified 1040 form. The first one is how much money did you make? And the number two being send it in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, you know, we're going to first look at the what exactly did you make and how do we calculate that? And then the second thing is what part of it do I not have to send in? as <laughs> the way to look at it. We'll start with the
0: basics, Mike. I mean, just as a general principle, what is sort of the theory behind income tax? Like, what are we supposed to pay taxes on is it everything that we get? Is it only things in cash? Do barter economies count? How
2: is it supposed to work? Well, it is pretty much any accretion to value. So it can be cash, it can be property, um, prizes and awards, um, gambling winnings um, are all taxable items. Um, now you get to a sense of. What is de minimis here, you Mm -hmm. know, in a sense you know, let's say you you go to a tournament and you get kind of a prize, maybe a uh, Magic the Gathering Mm -hmm. uh, set of cards. Well, probably no one's going to be handing you uh, an an income (laughs) reporting statement. On that, or you know, you're you're playing World of Warcraft or something like that, and you you win the ultimate sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably not going to be taxed on that either. <laughs> but if if you go somewhere and and there's gambling, whether it's bingo, whether it's poker, something like that, you're going to get. Uh, not only are you taxable on that, but in fact, someone will report those gambling winnings to the IRS. Uh, and if you if you guys don't put that on your return, well, the, you'll be getting a letter, an automatic <laughs> notice in a few weeks, and you may get a follow-up visit on that as well And that's because else. the
0: place where I went, they reported how much they paid out into yeah. who, so the IRS exactly. knows that they should be expecting a parallel document from the person who earned the, the winnings.
2: And when they don't get it, they're going to like, they're hey. gonna say, well, this <laughs> is about what we expected from Kirk and these guys. <laughs> and we're going to go out
1: and uh, pay a visit to them, and we might look at into some other things too. Yeah. Well, that's, it's funny actually because we used to actually, um, I used to run Bingo um, in conjunction with fundraiser for my high school band and stuff like that and it was always a very big deal of what you give away because there were required reporting requirements and of course all the companies that made the products we used knew exactly what those guidelines were. And so our top prizes were always, you know, a dollar or two dollars below the required reporting requirements. <laughs> so we didn't have to fill them out. Um, but we always had to notify people that, you know, Hey, by the way, this is taxable income. You have to remember that, uh, you know, and various things along those lines as to what it was. But yeah, it's, and I remember that that was a, it was a big deal of, of having to deal with that. Cause I think you also had to collect the taxes out of it, Yes, yeah, you do. So generally, with gambling winnings, you all, they
2: also are going to collect the tax right from the source there. So you're not usually going to end up owing. More Anything that. more than that, yeah. yeah. Um, the IRS gets its money in advance because you just realize that if that didn't happen,
0: then they never they get
2: it. It would end up in Bolivia yeah. or something like that.
0: But they don't know how much you're supposed to pay on that, right? Because they don't know what your, what your top marginal rate is. So they just default to the no, they, highest rate? or
2: uh, No, They don't. they have a set rate that Do they, they okay. withhold on that. And you might end up owing a little more a uh, little less, but they're going to get at least a good portion of that tax. Okay. But this is
1: also your $500 million lottery winning turns into like, you know, $110 million by the time you actually get it. Yeah. That's mean, hardly worth, worth taking. you know. Though, you know I, I think we all would. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. First world problems. I'd love to have that problem.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Well I always thought that it was interesting. So if I if I win, if I go to a bingo night or let's stick with the Magic the Gathering tournament like a cash tournament. I go show up and everybody throws 10 bucks into play and someone walks away with a $300 prize. The winner pays the taxes on the $300. But does everybody else get to deduct the
2: 10? <laughs> no. <laughs> of um, course not. No, it's it's a heads I win, tails you lose system on that unless you're a professional gambler. Um, you can only deduct gambling losses to the extent of your gambling winnings. So mm-hmm. when you go in there and you throw your money in, uh, you're you're not really, doesn't really qualify you as
1: a (laughs) professional gambler. Um, You need to do a little bit more than that. So it's interesting. When you talk about gig economy and the things, I mean, you're talking about professional gambler. I mean, this is really the idea that your job now is gambling. Yeah,
0: like cash poker players maybe are the original gig economy.
1: Yeah, so we're we're kind of looking at it as gig economy. We now have somebody (laughs) whose job is gambling, so that's why, hey, they can deduct losses because that's a cost of doing business. Is that sort of where we're getting with this?
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we've always distinguished whether you are in the stock market or whether you are in business or something like that, there's always been a gambling element to that. But we we don't like to call it gambling. It <laughs> has a sin seedy aspect <laughs> to it that we don't like to associate with it. But um, absolutely, the the nice thing about there are both good things and bad things about the gig economy right now. In fact. Um, Just a couple years ago, uh, the National Taxpayer Advocate recognized how much this industry was growing and said, you know, one of our top priorities has got to be helping these people comply more with their tax obligations because it's very hard. For those of you who are employees... um, you know, it's very easy. You you get your W-2, all your wages are on there, the amounts withheld, the tax has already been paid to the government. There's a little bit of an issue this year about whether you're <laughs> getting a refund or whether you're owed. That, that seems like gambling too, <laughs> but um, it's very simple, and you get your 0.01% interest on your bank account. You get a 1099 for that, and it all goes on the return. All the taxes has been paid. It's it's very simple. In the geek you're just settling economy, up at the end of the
0: year. That's it. You're just yeah.
2: settling up at the end of the year. May I, maybe I owe a little bit. Maybe I'm getting some back. But it's it's more.
1: You know, do I have enough of a windfall to go out to Best Buy and get myself an eighty-inch TV or mm-hmm. something like that? Well, I always think it's interesting people consider it a windfall since effectively your tax refund is the money the government is refunding you that they took an yeah, interest-free it's, loan. Yeah, to it's take. the
0: interest-free loan you <laughs> gave them over the last year.
2: Well, and there's been a lot of you know you've seen in the papers a lot of debate of oh you know the amount of refunds is down and that's what happens when the taxes go down. Well, that's <laughs> what happens when the taxes go down, and, and people have rightly said. Look um, maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a bad thing <laughs> maybe it just you, maybe you paid less in taxes, but you get you gave the federal government a smaller interest-free loan for yeah. most of the year and that's why you're getting a smaller refund If you're in the gig economy you know obviously there are some there's some preliminary questions there you know we we've all followed the stories with uber and Lyft and some of these companies the real question, Are these people, in fact, in the gig economy (laughs) or should they be employees Mm -hmm. for one purpose or another? And uh, states have come out with different answers on that. You know, so your first question always in the gig economy is, am I really an employee? And, (laughs) And you can get the IRS to sign off on that. and There may be a lot of benefits to you from doing that. But I think we'll focus in the interest of time on just what happens. We get past that. I'm not an employee question. I either own my business as a sole proprietor or I'm an independent contractor. Mm
0: -hmm. So like Uber drivers are all considered, at least by Uber, to be independent contractors for the most part, right? Yeah,
2: Yeah. that's what happened. uh, But that
0: imposes certain tax obligations on the contractor that you would not – the reporting obligations would be different than if you were an employee.
2: That's absolutely right. So one of the things I have to do if I own my own business in the gig economy is – I've got to track all the revenue I get because really that is all income to me subject to things like refunds, uh, subject to things like rebates and mm-hmm. discounts and things like that. That's all income. And with rare exceptions, um, some people are going to give me a 1099 that's going to say they paid me a certain amount. It's generally $600. But if I'm working through a platform or something that's handling my billing, you know, I'm getting paid for things, I'm only going to get a information report on how much I got from them uh, if it's over, I think, 200,000 uh, or 20,000 or um, 200 transactions. And so... If I'm not getting that report, it's incumbent on me to track all that and report it on my tax return.
1: And we're talking about things like that, I mean think what you you're getting at sort of in common platforms and things like this. This is gonna be like ad revenue from YouTube, um, stuff yeah. like you know, ad revenue from Twitch, you know, those types of yeah, things. Twitch we're streamers in, is a good where one. Where you're too. obviously getting, you know, you're getting ad revenue. That's the whole point in many respects of generating the content. Now, as we've you know, talked about in the I think prior episodes and stuff out there, that you know, you're you're not necessarily getting the ad revenue from everything that you're posting out there, somebody else may, but the you know, that's really the kind of thing you're talking about here with the idea of sort of this income and, and other parties that's, handling it for you. That's right. And and
2: so you've really got to get to the end of the year. You'll get some statements, but you probably won't reflect all the money you've made during the year. And so you've got to track that, figure out what it is. And in general, unless there's a specific exemption for, for something, that all has to go on on your return mm-hmm. and be reported as income. And not only does that have to happen, but because you aren't having amounts withheld as you were would if you're an employee, you're going to have to make estimated tax payments during the year, try and figure out how much that's going to be, pay every quarter. You're going to have to pay self-employment tax yep. um, on that amount and pay estimated tax that includes the self-employment tax. So those so, would be
0: like the, the Social Security, Medicaid, the yeah. ones that most people are used to having their employers just automatically deduct. Yes. Now, now, one, your employer doesn't pay for the other half of it. You have to pay for all of it, and you got to pay it yourself.
2: Right. You get a deduction for half of it, but you pay it yourself. And one of the big problems that a lot of independent business owners, including people in the gig economy, uh, go through is that their income is very uneven. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't know how much they're getting from month to month. All of a sudden, that estimated tax payment is due or the tax payment is due at the end of the year and, oh, there's a shortfall in uh, money left in the company to pay that tax. So it's really important to keep track of those obligations. Um, and it's a lot more difficult.
0: We should probably uh, explain how the estimated tax system works briefly for people who aren't familiar with it. Yeah, because is- I think, I mean, I've probably what thirty percent, I'd guess, or so of people
2: have an employer who manages all this for them. It, it's probably higher than that. Yeah, probably higher. I mean, you know, I've seen figures on the gig economy being thirty-four percent, but that's obviously yeah. not just the number of people who are employees. But if you've never had partners, to pay estimated
0: taxes, it's, right. it's different, right? Because you just cut the government a check once a quarter for what you owe.
2: That That's right. So you've got to estimate what you owe. You, you've you got to, if it's over $1,000 in a quarter, then you have to send in an estimated tax payment um, every quarter. If, uh, if you don't true that up by January 31st, uh, they can impose a penalty on you. And... Um, you know, so you you need to make those quarterly payments and most people are not used to planning on budgeting for a quarterly payment. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden there's this very large payment due at the end of the quarter and how am I going to get enough money to make that? Now, once you get through your first year, there are safe harbors. So you can pay your estimated tax equal to 100% of last year's tax or if you're a higher income individual, 110%. Um, but it's still in a few months, whatever the rest of that tax mm-hmm. is is going <laughs> to come, come due, and, and you're going to have to come up with that. So it's, it's really important for people to track how much revenue and income they're getting during the mm-hmm. year uh, to get an idea of, of what they're going to
0: owe in that. So if you're if you're a you know a Twitch streamer or a, or Lyft driver or something and you just get sick for a couple of weeks or just don't want to do it now you've got this this tax payment coming up and your your ability to generate revenue to pay it is is just gone.
2: Yeah, if you're like me, you have enough trouble making you know your paycheck stretch from week <laughs> to week, uh, not because it's necessarily a tiny amount, but just because you're you're used to budgeting in a mm-hmm. week or a month or something like that. I got five like kids that. and
0: all about stretching and patience. <laughs> you, know? so,
2: you know you just yeah you just hand Handing the money off to the kids. All, you know, budgeting on a quarter is
1: a really difficult thing to do. I think the other thing with it is, and I think this is a, a thing worth pointing out for you know people who haven't paid estimated taxes or you know, depending on how you pay taxes, you know, when you have a job and you're just getting this withholding, your paycheck's already missing the taxes. Yeah. So it's never there yeah, in the first place. There and there you, first you don't place, miss it. You don't realize it's not there. That that's what you get as the tax refund at the end. When you're paying estimated taxes, you're getting the money up front. And it's coming through. You, you just in have that to paycheck. know to
0: save it until yeah, the quarters. you have to over. know to
1: save it and, get, and to get rid of it in the end of the quarter because you've got to make that payment. And then you mentioned it, there's penalties if you get this calculation wrong. Well, there's penalties if you get the calculation wrong.
2: That's absolutely right. There's penalties if you don't pay the tax when it's due. There are ways of dealing with that, getting installment agreements. But you know, also the pressure on a lot of startup businesses. There isn't necessarily a lot of money left in the bank. You're, mm-hmm. you're yeah. trying to make a decision between reserving enough money so you're going to have money for those estimated taxes, and maybe paying some of the expenses to people who are providing
1: you services yeah. or for your yeah. website or things like that. So, and obviously part of this is cash flow, and you de- you're dealing with the thing. I think your comment, you know, with the the Uber driver who suddenly gets sick. You know, if you're looking at it and saying, hey, I'm going to make hundred dollars a week for the quarter, and I'm going to owe you know five hundred dollars of my estimated tax. Taxes come do well great then I'm gonna have to just save my last five weeks worth of income to cover that but then if suddenly your last five weeks of income becomes two weeks worth of income you have an issue because yeah. you plan for that I remember uh, people talking about it and I remember t- somebody once telling me is if you look at like large corporations and you actually look at how much money they make and it's these huge numbers but when you compare it against their sales like they make all their money in the end of December and I know that that's that apparently that's where the term Black Friday originally came from yeah, was because you're in the black
0: finally. yeah that was right. the day
1: you finally turned into the black is, is Thanksgiving you know and so the idea of like you know late November the company is finally making money you know other, other than that it's done it you know people are used to tax freedom day you know and sort of the, the things associated with that but that idea that you've got all this money coming in that you're spending out you don't really make anything until sort of the very end of the year but part of what you've got to deal with is you've got to deal with paying these estimated taxes saving that money getting make sure you get it sent in at the appropriate times even knowing when to send it in. I think that's one of the things you really bump into. As much as I think the IRS tries to point out, like, here's the estimated tax forms, here's what they're due, it's not really clear a lot of times and not really simple to just figure out how to do this. I mean, it's not complicated, but if you're not used to it, it's not something you know to look for. You know, you don't know of saying, oh, what is an estimated tax form? it's not like there's a class you take in
0: high school, you know? They don't don't sit down and tell you, by the way, here's how you pay your taxes once you graduate. That just doesn't happen.
2: Well, I'm sure both of you are following IRS.gov on your Twitter feeds. Oh yeah, and, you oh, know yeah, just
1: getting reminders of these daily, as, as most people are. But it's thr- <laughs> it's thrilling stuff. It's right up there with you know the POTUS account. No, it's not even close. The <laughs> <laughs> POTUS
0: account doesn't but, even get used anymore. It's all just the, the Donald Trump account.
2: Exactly. But, but you know, we've actually kind of um, made it seem even simpler that it is mm-hmm. um, for most people because, of course, you're running a business. You have a lot of expenses. Yep. And what you're trying to do with us estimated taxes is figure out, you know, how much you're going to owe at the end of the year and Mm -hmm. try and get in the ballpark on it. Um, And, you know, all of a sudden that gets very difficult because you have unpredictable expenses. um, your business may not be generating a lot of money, it may be a part-time thing. Or maybe you're in a startup phase, maybe you're launching a brand on a blog or something like that, and there's only so much time you can devote to it. Well, all of a sudden, things like trying to keep the necessary paperwork, you have to document all Mm -hmm. your deductions, keep records because um, if you get audited, you have to prove what those deductions are. Well, these, these part-time gig people probably have a lot
0: of of personal assets that they own that get used for dual purposes, right? Like Make, if I'm going to have a podcast. An Uber driver's car, yeah. Yeah, you know, the Uber driver's car, or you know you got a computer at home that you use to record your podcast, but you also use it to play games. <laughs> what if your podcast is about Games, <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, there there are a lot of questions for these people as well. You know, one of the deductions that probably most people take that uh, may be a little bit more on the questionable side is that home office deduction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just how truly is that space devoted to uh, use as a home office? (laughs) Things like that. Are you really keeping that mileage log on when you're using that car you own for business Mm -hmm. as as opposed to when you're using it for personal purposes? Uh, you've got a computer, but as you say, you may be playing Magic the Gathering on it, or World of Warcraft on it as many, many hours as you're doing. So you, you've got a number of issues that go to um, how you calculate all these deductions and how you track them. And in fact, you know, even if you've, you've got a fairly good operating business, you know, there are at least three different ways for calculating how you might be depreciating that mm-hmm. automobile. Yep. Um, and, you know, they make a difference. Um, there are decisions to be made, hopefully, if you're making enough money, uh, to decide what sort of retirement account to set up for yourself. And, of course, we all have to have health insurance now, so um, you've got a budget for that as well. So not only do you need to track all the revenue you're taking in through the year, but you've got to have some idea of where these expenses are coming out. Because if, you know, a, a lot of businesses, you can't be in a position of really overpaying those estimated taxes either Yeah, you, you need that money for other purposes. And so it's, it's a challenge for those people.
0: Well, it's a longstanding principle of American law too, that you are not obligated to pay a single cent more than what you absolutely owe and that you are... I think it was learned it a hand, said you're entitled to structure your affairs to avoid taxes or reduce taxes, as long as that's not the sole reason why they're <laughs> structured that way. Something yeah. like that. I forget because there was a tax shelter rule in the 70s or 80s, I think, that they came up with where like if certain corporate vehicles or investment vehicles serve no purpose other than tax avoidance, <laughs> then they're not legit. There's sure. There are around.
2: all these judicial doctrines that that come up for challenging that. And you know, like like a lot of judicial Um, decisions, learned hands um, statement gets quoted a lot, but now we're we're trying to say, okay, where is that gray line between tax minimization and tax evasion where, you know, Kirk has to flee the country or or something like that. Well, it's Um, it's harder than it seems too, like,
0: you know, why is buying a house not a tax shelter? Rent's not deductible and my mortgage interest is, so I'm, you know, the only reason I buy a house is for the deduction, isn't that a shelter?
2: Well, that's a specific benefit that Congress clearly intended you to yes. have It's a matter of public policy, that, right? That, yeah. that gets cut out. But, you know, back in the 70s, for example, you could buy a cow for $10,000 in cash and $90,000 non-recourse note and mm-hmm. have a $100,000 depreciable asset. And obviously,
1: <laughs> we didn't let that go on for more than, you know, five or ten years. <laughs> um, I, I still remember when I took tax and I was taking tax in law school. And, you know, obviously, I mean, I have a science background doing what we do and things like that. And the professor standing up at the front and he went through and he was talking about for, you know, high income individual. And he's like, here's how, you know, you buy an airplane. and This is what they're going to do with it. And it was literally park it on the side of the runway and let it rust. And in the end, you made money on the transaction. And it was one of these things where I remember like walking out of the room and some of the people coming in. They're like, There's no way that's accurate. And I'm like, yo, it is. Like that's what the math is. It's just we're not used to thinking about sort of income over a ten year window, and the idea of you know that you can you get this thing and in the end of ten years it makes you money because you haven't paid out during the ten years, because it's it's kind of a weird way to think about income. It kind of gets to that idea of the withholding and sort of things like that. We're very used to thinking about the income is we get a check that is our money, then we spend that. We don't have this Mm -hmm. issue that, again, we're holding money. We're sort of... We... we owe my people money that we've already taken in. We're not sort of used to that. We may have an expense we have to pay, like a credit card bill or a car note or something on those lines, but we're not looking at it as like, no, I'm taking this money with sort of the care of somebody else, which is the U.S. government that I owe portion of this money to and I have to pay them.
0: Well, I suspect for some people, too, who sort of accidentally fall into these, these positions. Yeah. Like you start out as just sort of a, a, I'm a YouTube streamer talking about Minecraft or something that I like, and then I, I wake up one morning and realize I've got 200,000 followers and all this money. Monetization opportunity. Yeah. I haven't been keeping track of this stuff all this time. We didn't think of it as being a job, but it's kind of turned into one.
2: Well, until you get the monetization, obviously, you know. It's not a job. You, <laughs> don't, you don't have any, any income. And, you know, there is this line, and it affects people in the gig economy as well, which is there's a rule in the code that says, you know, not surprisingly, you you. Can't take a deduction for your hobbies, yeah. Um, and you know, uh, some of these businesses really start out as hobbies, right? Yeah. You know, I, I have an interest in something. I'm going to blog about it. Turns out, I'm really successful at it, and people actually want to pay me money yeah. um, as as part of that blog. And when does that morph into a business? And that's very important for for people in the gig economy because. If it's a hobby, none of your none of there are no deductions yeah. that are allowed. You still have to report all the income, but there are no deductions allowed. And that can be tough in an era where we're used to companies not earning a profit. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that hobby rule says, well, we'll presume you're a business if you're profitable for three out of five years. But that's a standard that a lot of people in the gig economy or well, startup startups, seems. startups yeah. don't make, don't are, make any profit. are, you know, that's, that's not a very useful safe harbor. It doesn't mean they're not a business, yep. but it's not a very useful safe harbor for them. And so the other thing you got to – as you're looking at things like web blogs and, and things like that is am I engaged in a hobby where I can't take any of these deductions and I'm just basically going
1: to be taxed on – All my gross revenue. Well, they really—I think you really bump into—and I mean, one of the things that you know, I think is is sort of the interesting part today. It touches on stuff we talked about with Charla. You talk about something like an Instagram influencer. Yeah. When does when does that person when does that go to become a job? Does it ever become a job? I mean, well, effectively, are people are you're only famous you stuff. if you're famous,
0: people are sending you products to review that you're getting for free. The unboxing and, videos, yeah, <laughs> the unboxing videos, and then you talk about them on your blog or your YouTube channel, right? And so you're getting this stuff for free. I mean, I, I would think that's is that taxable income. <laughs> I I would think it is. Um, and and it's I, I want to say
2: I don't I don't know. Uh, 100% the answer but it it seems to me that That's perfect because
0: we never know the You know <laughs> the answer to anything here.
2: Well, you know what my general reaction is, yes, it is, because, you know, I've gotten... Uh, Something of value. ...advanced Blu-ray copy in mm-hmm. 4K of Captain Marvel, and, you know, I'd have to pay $30 for it. And I can watch that as many times um, as, I, as I want. So that seems to me that's a payment in property for the services I'm provided, which mm-hmm. are advertising services. The only thing gives me pause is, you know, I'm not sure in the old economy, uh, if you're a reviewer of books, for the New York Times, uh, every time do you you got sent a book, yeah. was yeah. that income to you? I, I it suspect just, yeah. it was. It was not.
0: I but, think of these movie reviewers who get like the press junket trips out to see the the opening night, and you know, I mean, I would think that's got that, a,
2: that that's income, yeah, you know, yeah. and and all the swag bags. Is, yeah. I think those do come with a ten ninety nine information return on them and just how how much. <laughs> well, now I'm thinking is. about
0: it. Though we always give out give. This is the new thing. Okay, so random sidebar here. Yeah. Every children's birthday party now, you give gifts to the kids who come to the party. Everybody gets a good, goodie bag to take home. I, first of all, I hate that because my kids go to all these parties and bring <laughs> home bags full of useless plastic <laughs> junk. That they get out, play with it for five minutes, and leave all over the house. Yep. But then, is that income?
1: But I think you get into interesting one well, time. Sorry, I'm, just, okay. I'm just thinking about the idea of like a lot of conventions you go to now. Yeah. Like when you go to, you know, big gaming conventions, they give away swag bags of, hey, here's free games, stuff like that. But you pay to get in, all you right? You pay to get so. in, obviously. So, but one of the things that I think is becoming more and more common now is also the idea of like different levels of swag bag, depending on different entrance fees. So, you know, you may pay $30 to get in and not get a swag bag. You may pay $50 to get in and get $100 worth of random stuff in a swag bag. That would sound like at least there's some income there. You paid 20 for $100 worth of value, you know, potentially that's what it is, but you also don't know what's in it. And so it may be something where you're getting this stuff that may or may not be worthwhile to you that you're only really getting because it's $20, Mm -hmm. you know, as an add-on. But again, it's also tied into, well, but it's part of the entrance fee. Because it's a VIP access as part of the VIP access. Yeah, I get in an hour early, but I also get this big swag bag. You get into these weird ties, I think, potentially as to, what exactly Look, Kirk, is this?
0: You and I used to go to like the Heritage Beer Festival here in town, yeah. and they used to have the VIP used ticket. To go? where It was like an extra 50 bucks. What do you mean, used to go? You I think we go, go every year. Well, they didn't have the VIP <laughs> tickets last year. But, yeah, they have it. Um, but when they had those, you get in early and you get access to th- to you know to, to the more rare beers yeah, they a have. Special there. tent usually yeah, yeah. and dinner or and, lunch. And, and, yeah, and some food. So you're paying more, but you're getting more. It just seems like we have a market value affix whatever it is that we got.
2: Well, you you know, first of all, you're not getting a deduction unless it's a charitable event. Yeah. Right? yeah it's not. <laughs> if it's a charitable <laughs> event, they've got to back out the costs of the goods and services um that they're providing to you. But beyond that, you didn't Get a deduction for paying for your ticket. Presumably, the person who's running it knows what the heck they're doing, and yeah. uh, they may say that you know you're paying twenty dollars and getting a hundred dollar <laughs> swag bag, but that that seems very unlikely. Gifts well, all this in stuff general, anyway. <laughs> gifts in general are not. Um, taxable to you and so if, if, if you go to a convention or something like that and you pick up a free sample or something like that well you didn't provide services or do anything to earn that the person's just basically just giving out. it away yeah. to you because that's how they advertise
1: yeah. well that, that may be a marketing deduction on their part yeah. though to actually give yeah. you this stuff right So, oh, that, I mean I'm not
2: saying they're not deducting it I'm just saying it's <laughs> not going to be income so I, don't to to worry about it, yeah, I don't have to worry about it basically I don't have to worry about
1: it as the person attending <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, you know? but yeah. I think it's it, there is. A, I think we're starting to get into this, and it's, you know, we talked about it in conjunction with like copyright and some of the IP things, and like the creation of memes. You know, the the world is changing here pretty dramatically, and I think that's what we're getting into a lot of this sort of with the gig economy. Is the world has changed? You know, we, the what we consider work today is dramatically different than what we considered work 50 years ago, which is probably dramatically different than what we considered work 50 years before that. Um, Oh, yeah, for sure. And when we're talking about something which is an income tax, I mean, again, the the vast majority of tax revenue, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mike, is income tax. I mean, we have property taxes, we have sales taxes, right. but the vast majority of income coming in, at least especially at the federal government level, is income tax. We bump into the question of what is income? Um, and that's, I think, what we're talking about now. Well, it's always and- a
0: fundamental question, right, is, is what what does and does not constitute income at all? And then of that income, what has Congress said we don't have to pay taxes yeah. on? And
1: that's really the deduction part is that some of this income is stuff you don't have to pay taxes on. Like, well, there's some that's uh, excluded as well,
2: but the general principle is It's all income unless it's excluded or there's a specific deduction. But there's practical limitations to that, as well. Um, There's an ID in the tax law. Look, tax law has to be administrable, (laughs) and we're, we're not going to chase too much. After trifles, you know, the federal government. Like your frequent flyer flyer miles. (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, that was just... (laughs) That (laughs) was an issue for a while. (laughs) That that was just avoiding a public rebellion. (laughs) Uh, Being taxed on your frequent flyer miles. And, uh, you know, but that is a good example of the practical example of it. Cuz how do I value that? You yeah, know, uh, I I may not be able to use it. All of a sudden the blackout dates are changing. It could uh, just expire. I never had to know, They it. they can expire. They increase how much I have to spend to get an award. So there's an idea in the tax law that what you have to do has to be practical and administrable. And so even though people looked at that and thought it was a really serious issue. You know, you're getting plane tickets for a discounted price or something. It seems like a really valuable thing. And you're you're doing it for the fact that you you bought something um, from someone but they just decided there was no way
1: to administer that. Um, Yeah. It's an interesting idea, sort of. There is that, and, and it's, it's just sort of focused on that. That it's, and it's, I'm assuming it's explicit. You're sort of looking at this as the IRS sort of realizing, no, the tax law needs to actually be something we can use, which law is not really known for. I think you know when you're writing statutes and sort of things like that, the law does not necessarily say, oh, this is an administrable law. They write yeah. it because they want that law to be. The so
0: Congress tend to be very <laughs> high-minded and sort of this is sort of what we hope want to accomplish. We'll leave it to some department of government to figure out how it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, but tax does seem to be one of those areas where, at least in principle, they start out saying, what can we actually reasonably do?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that is a big part of it. And it's expanded because business and industry have gotten more and more complex. We've seen a lot of discussion, you know, there was a lot of debate how was bitcoin going to be treated? That's what I was going to ask you know, about cryptocurrencies. It's, it? it's 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 not a currency, it's treated as property in the United States. So when you buy and sell it, you you have gain or loss. It's <laughs> um, treated it as a capital gain basically. You, you you would treat it as a capital gain unless part of a hedge or something like that. And so you know but there was a lot of debate about how you were going to treat that for tax purposes and of course you you had practical problems alongside of that which was People were using this because it never showed up in a ten
1: ninety nine. You know, it, the whole idea you know, that it was for illegal economies. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that brings you to brings
2: another point. Ransomware attackers,
0: you know, they want to get paid in Bitcoin. <laughs> so, aside from the fact that they're engaged in a fraudulent activity,
1: they're
2: also not reporting their income taxes properly. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> That's how they got Al Capone. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and this is an issue. And part of the question for the tax law is, you know, how much of that do you tolerate? You know, you go to barter exchanges on the weekends where people are – Trading yeah. in, Changing know, car parts or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and how much time are we going to spend enforcing that? Uh, it's, we're not going to spend a lot of time It seems like the policing that. costs
0: would exceed the value right. of the taxes you'd get out. Um, oh.
2: Now, Bitcoin used to be worth something. Uh, this week it <laughs> seems to be uh, much much lower. But we'll obviously tomorrow. We'll see. You, you, you can't ignore that. Yeah. I mean there are just too many people using it to pay real transactions that are real money. And so you have to find a way to not make that a black market
1: economy where everything escapes tax. Although also interestingly enough, I mean, Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin being a particular example, cryptocurrencies being a particular example, they're really creating value out of nothing. You know, there's a lot of sort of acceptance of, you know, hey, like even service economy, you know, things like that. There is some idea that, you know, we can create value out of, you know, fewer resources, add val- you know, added value, things like that. In many respects, Bitcoin is value out of nothing. I mean, it exists because of the fact that people grant it value like any currency system. But it's not a government currency system which exists for that reason.
0: Yeah. It's, it's different yeah. from a fiat currency because I, I can prove my dollar has value. The government will accept
2: it to satisfy
0: my tax obligations, And
1: used to be willing to give you gold. (laughs) Not so much anymore, but...
2: (laughs) Yeah, and there... I mean, it seems like there is a difference between currencies issued by governments um, where at least, you know, you have information on the economy and resources and production, things like that, where Bitcoin, someone successfully mined it. Yeah. And so how much is that worth? Yeah. And a a lot of that worth is... um, you know, some of it is just because, well, it comes from several components. One, it's it's um, not connected with a specific currency. Yeah. So there's it, no central it bank It can be a charger. hedge. Uh, it, it can move fairly uh, easily without detection. Mm-hmm. So that gives it some value to certain for people. people. I'm not <laughs> it saying It moves that that's detection, even the though there's a permanent record, which is never ever deleted of
1: the transaction,
2: <laughs> 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 and and. I suppose you never really know, even though there's a limited amount, how much is available. I was I was reading something the other day that people have lost their encrypted passwords. Or well, there was a guy in China. Yeah.
0: A guy uh, died that had uh, the—I the, the, don't know exactly what happened, but he basically had the private key to unlock one of these ledgers. And he died, and as far as anybody knows, didn't write it down anywhere. So <laughs> nobody can find it, so all the money's just
2: gone. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, so— uh, It's a very interesting currency, but the tax system has to take account of it because there's just
1: too much money out there. It's interesting when you talk about the idea of sort of, you know, de minimis and the idea that just there's, you know, these issues of the the tax, you know, the IRS can't necessarily police this. But one of the things it does seem like, and I mentioned this is going to bump into the gig economy, of they actually push this down to the end users. And you bump into the, okay, well, you know, you talk about like, you know, if it's over $1,000, you need to do something along those lines. But you look at it and say, if I make $1,000 from my YouTube channel, how much effort does it take me to figure out the paperwork just to, you know, submit my $1,000
2: on the YouTube channel? Well, and, and that's a real issue for a lot of people because not only do you have to track it, you have to keep records. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as you move from something that is a hobby to a business, you mm-hmm. probably weren't keeping those records. Yep. You know, you, you've you kind of viewed it as found money when it was just trickling in. Mm-hmm. And now it's becoming a more significant amount. Um, and then you have to decide, how much am I going to pay to track all my deductions so that I can figure out how much I owe. How much am I going to pay to try and figure out how much depreciation I'm actually going to get? I mean, I think I saw a statistic maybe last year or something like that that the average gig account worker makes less than $500 a month. That's That's not a lot of money to spend on... Record keeping, uh, making complex calculations—even a cheap, uh, and basic like, like small
0: business bookkeeping service could cost you a hundred bucks a month. I don't okay, know. Yeah, easy. I mean, yeah,
2: yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, there's a real question here about how much you can spend to make these calculations and minimize your tax.
0: It seems like the the, the obvious point where something goes from a hobby to business is where you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form a company. We're going to register an LLC with the state. And then now now it's my quote-unquote business. Although, you know, even before that, you still maybe had a sole proprietorship or something. Yeah. Then you get into weird things like if I've changed my business form... And then moved assets from that are my personal assets into my business, does that constitute a taxable event that I had to keep special track of?
2: Uh, generally, no. So okay. when you contribute assets to a corporation or a partnership that you've formed, generally that can be done on a tax-free basis at the at the time it's initially formed. Um, and and so that usually isn't an issue. Um, where you do run into the issue is sometimes you don't just put the business assets into that mm-hmm. business, but you're you're putting some of your personal assets in there as <laughs> like well, your Uber and, car. And trying to get more deduction that than you would otherwise be entitled to. And that's that's a significant compliance issue with with a lot of people. Is uh, you know. Y- y- Obviously, you want to get all the deductions you're entitled to, but there are a good number of people out there who are moving things that you and I have to pay individually and never get a deduction for and trying to claim their – they're deductible.
0: There seems to be a lot of, of internet mythology over how all this stuff works. And Kirk and I talk about the internet mythology of law and fair <laughs> use a lot. Yeah, yeah, the emphasis were being myth. Mythology, <laughs> yeah. And I think tax is probably up there too. I remember when I was in IT still, before I went to law school, I bought a book I saw at uh, a bookstore back when we still had those by a guy <laughs> who was basically, you know, th- this is what, yeah, <laughs> th- this, this is what successful wealthy people do and how they get there. And so I read it, it had great reviews, uh, and I'd seen the guy on TV. So I bought the book and I read it. And even before I was a lawyer, the advice seemed sketchy. So one of the things he said to do was incorporate your family and form it as a small business. And then all of your, then have all your board meetings each year for the family corporation be wherever you're going to take your vacation for that year. And then all the travel expenses and everything else is deductible uh, as, as a business expense. And my first thought was, but what's the business? I mean, a business has to have some sort of yeah, business, yeah, yeah, yeah. But It has to be doing that's,
2: something. That's, that's absolutely <laughs> right. And, you know, those t- sort of schemes yeah. um, are not permissible.
0: He also had one that um, said every contract he signs is subject to the consent of his business partner, which he said is his dog, so that he can always say that his business partner doesn't agree. <laughs> and even then I'm like, wait a minute. That sounds like something we call an
2: illusory contract <laughs> where I've actually agreed to nothing. And you
0: knew all about illusory contracts
1: before law school.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think— I think you uh, you need to take that very seriously because this is the type of guy who is not going to hire and, more importantly, pay a lawyer yeah. uh, to look at his contracts. So <laughs> well, I think we like all need TV. to take he's that very seriously. He's saying this. He published seriously. books. i mean, like, how did he not get audited? Yeah. Well, you yeah, <laughs> know, there is this huge tax avoidance industry out there, and it it starts with people way out on the fringe who are saying things like, uh, (laughs) the the U.S. Constitution doesn't allow me to be taxed. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: We covered the sovereign citizen movement. You know,
2: (laughs) uh, the sovereign citizen thing, and it it doesn't seem to matter how many of these people get assessed penalties, how many people go to jail. People are still out there hawking these systems. On the internet, yep. right? And just the mere fact that someone is selling it and, and charging you money for it uh, leads a lot of people to believe... Oh, yeah,
1: that must work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was my conclusion about this book. The guy got rich by writing books full of, you know, advice that's no good and and then tricking people into buying
1: them. Well, yeah, I think you bump into that thing like, again, sort of like, you know, let's pick on Instagram influencers for a little bit. This is based a little bit on the, you know, and you guys on on the show know how much we tend to reference Cracked uh, because we both read it very actively. They had an article on there about, like, you know, the the top six instigations that Instagram influencers are awful. Um, and one of the ones that we were talking about in conjunction with that is them like putting on sem- uh, you know, seminars on how to be an Instagram influencer. In many respects, recognizing that the way you become an Instagram influencer is almost exclusively by accident. You know, there, there's lots of people who are trying to do it, mm-hmm. but whether or not it works is not necessarily something you can plan on. And, you know, when you have those types of things where it goes in and says, okay, you know, I'm going to give you this seminar on how to do this. Can the person really explain how to do this? I think that's kind of what you're getting with this is it's, you know, I may be be able to put on a seminar about how, you know, I cheat on my taxes, but does that necessarily mean that it will work for you? (laughs) But, but, you know, is that
2: the critical point, right? Because if you're an Instagram influencer, it, it may be a very short ride. Right, you know, there's mm-hmm. going to be someone more popular. Yeah. However, if you can run a seminar uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. on that two weeks of fame for yeah. the next ten years, you yeah. know, then
1: then you've really built something there yeah. that, that you yet, can use. There obviously are people who very build very successful and you know, they careers around a certain limited instance of fame. You know, sports you know sports stars that have you know one good season, you know, something mm-hmm. along those lines. I don't think we'd say there's anything necessarily inherently wrong with that of no, sort of you know, just turning yourself into a seminar, yeah. You know, I mean, a one-hit wonder can still, you know, put on a very successful seminar on how to be a one-hit wonder. Um, you know, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it can kind of be a weird sort of, you know, in- interface with it of how do you how do you deal with these people sort of saying, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm successful because I happen to be successful. And by the way, I can teach you how to be successful, even though I don't know how to do it in the first place. Uh, you know, and that kind of being an interesting thing. I, I always remember the, uh, is it, is it a Dolbert or like dog book, dogbert writes, you know, the, how to be successful book and it's how to make a million dollars. And the answer is, is write a book on how to make a million dollars, sell a million <laughs> copies way. for yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs> a dollar each. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. You know, so uh, there are people out there hawking these schemes. They don't work. They ought not to work. You know, you you can't. It's very clear under the law if uh, if you're going to a meeting, even if it's a legitimate business meeting, but you're hauling your family with you, uh, <laughs> that that does not make your entire family's vacation yeah. deductible or or a cost of the business. And so yeah, that's what I figured.
0: Well, it kind of gets into also – we talked earlier about the line between you know, hobby and business or pro and amateur. Yeah. And Kirk and I, you were talking about you know, if I'm if – my, if my job is I review comic books for a living. Yeah. I've got a website. I review comic books. People subscribe maybe or whatever. I make money somehow. Then if I go to a comic book convention – I think there's a decent argument there that that's a business expense. That's something I need to do in connection with my business to to meet people and stay in touch and keep on top of of industry news, right? Versus I'm a huge fan. I've literally spent $50,000 on comic books. I got a giant collection I happen to write a blog on it that nobody really reads. Yeah, I write a blog on it because I'm a big fan. Like, this this whole, and that's not quite gig economy, but it's getting into this this line, which we see this with journalism too, right? Like, who's, who's a real journalist? We see this in sports a lot. Who's a real journalist versus a quote-unquote fan site? You know, and at what point do these yeah. things cross over? And I, I just don't think there's any neat lines you can draw here.
2: No, there aren't. And I think, you know, there are a number of factors that people look at. I mean, if i I think that in in fact, the standard is fairly loose in the sense that if you're to trying to make a profit on it and you're you're behaving like it's a business, so you're spending a fair amount of time reviewing comic books, you're doing it regularly, you're publishing it, uh, people are subscribing. I don't think anyone's really going to challenge that too much. On the other hand, if you're doing it three hours a week, you know, you maybe go three weeks between writing reviews and things like that then I think people are, are going to question it. But if, if it is legitimately a business, then of course you've got to go yeah. to a comic book convention and your travel expenses and things like that are, are going to be business expenses, subject limitation. I mean, it, but it is an interesting line. I mean, you think yeah. about fanzines like, yeah. you know, wrapped in plastic or something like that that really started out as kind of a, a work of love, um, but, and you know, big into in big in, yeah. that, that, Became you know incredibly popular, um, yeah. And uh, you know, and that's what a lot of people are doing on the internet right now. They they are starting out with a hobby, and it's turning into they wake something, up one day and it's not and anymore. Yeah. It's a business. Say. I can make money at this. That's I, when I quit I World of Warcraft. When I got I went to log in
0: one day and I'm like, this has just become a job I don't get paid to do. It's so much worse <laughs> well, to organize these guild raids. In some
1: sense, you know, professional video game players is potentially one of the best examples with this, recognizing that, you know, professional video game players for the most part are not a lot of video games you are not gonna make money directly. Yes, yeah. they may offer tournaments that offer substantial rewards, but in some sense that's no different than necessarily going and, you know, winning a, a tournament at the local casino, you know, I mean, you can sort of look at that, even though it's obviously more organized and, and things along those lines. But, you know, when you look at it and you say, hey, I'm a professional video game player, what makes you a professional video game player? Usually it's because people are willing to watch you play video games. It's not the, That's right. It's not your action. It's the action of an outside person coming in and saying, "Yeah, you know, I have 2 million followers on Twitch who watch me play, you know, 10 hours a day every day, obviously you are a professional video game player and you're making a lot of money doing that. At the same time, how does that make you different than somebody else who just happens to really like the video game? Well, what's
0: interesting, I think also from a tax perspective is, is that there are a lot of differences, but the main difference is all, all the income you get is taxable regardless. It's a question of what you can deduct from that income.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. So anytime you're getting income it's going to be taxable to you. It's really a question of are you getting the deductions, and what are the deductions? And what are they? Yeah. Is it, you know, is, is, is it the cost of, of streaming? Is it a, a better streaming camera? Is hosting it, services. Hosting yeah. services. Can you that part of your
0: office. You have a studio set up and the yeah. microphones you buy and stuff like that.
2: Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, you know, if you had told me a few, a few years ago that there would
1: be a streaming channel to watch <laughs> other people play video games...
2: I would have yeah. thought that was
0: crazy yeah. and a great yeah. idea, Tw- but I would have thought Twitch, it was crazy. Twitch
1: is an amazing phenomenon, and it really is. And I mean, I pick on Twitch in particular. Obviously, it's, it's on YouTube and stuff like that, but I think Twitch is the best example of it. Twitch is an amazing phenomenon in the fact that we have we have turned. Video games, recognizing that, you know, video games have only really existed for probably about 40 years, mm-hmm. you know, in any way, shape, as or form. As a commercial market, you know, as a comm- Even outside, you know, is anything yeah. that was really, you know, doable, you know, computers haven't existed that long. Um, but, you know, if we look at it and say, hey, they've existed for, like, something along the lines of 40 years, we have now said not only do we have people who play them professionally – it is entertainment to watch other people play video games. And again, it's we look at it and say, well, we pay to watch people play football too. I mean, yeah. you know, that they can pay a lot of money for it. It's not that weird. But at the same time, I think we look at it and say, it is kind of that weird because the nature of the experience is not what it is. Yeah. And particularly well, sometimes we're not watching the person play. We're actually just watching what's happening on the screen. And I remember, you know, like having, I was at, we were at a you know, sports bar at one point in time, and one of the channels of, of ESPN was literally broadcasting one of the big video game tournaments. Oh, yeah, StarCraft really, tournaments yeah. used to be on
0: there. I mean, they, yeah. they broadcast Scrabble tournaments on ESPN,
1: so yeah. why not? And really, this one, like, all you were seeing was, you know, what was happening on screen. And then when one of the, the, the you know, timer ran out and one of the teams won, the team celebrating. Yeah, And it was kind of like, you know— we don't even see the team. I mean, it's it's sort of like watching football, and all you see is the movement of the ball.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, uh, this is probably a, a side point, but I think that probably has to do to some extent with the de destigmatization of video games. Because when we grew up, only nerds played video games. <laughs> yep, we're then talking invented, the eighties
1: again. <laughs> yeah. Th-
0: then they invented the EA Sports franchise. And all of a sudden, it was cool. Everybody played video games. Yes.
1: Well, and it's and it was. I mean, video games back at that point in time, like you know, if you were you know seriously into video games, it was kind of a Man. It was like being in a Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons group. Yeah, yeah. yeah stuff like that. Um, you weren't yeah, getting I'm, married. You, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah This yeah, Didn't belong on planet
0: Earth. <laughs> which is why <laughs> your mind was always <laughs> on somebody else's planet. Yeah,
1: live, live in your parents' basement. You know all that kind of stuff that you know has to come with it. But yeah, and and now I mean, there's the destigmatization, but I think it's also just the nature of the fact that we've we've seen this as interesting. And I think even for us, you know, when we played video games, you know, if you go back to very early video games, you would like if you went over and were playing on a friend's Atari. Or in television, I didn't television. Um, it was fun to watch them play their half of the yeah. game, particularly if they were good. Um, I see my kids so, doing that now. They'll just yeah.
0: get together and they'll watch someone play. So there's 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 some appeal to that, and the fact that you can monetize that now. Because we have these platforms out there, then it creates all these all these weird tax issues for a tax code that was never designed to deal with. Yes, tax code like.
1: was obviously never designed for video <laughs>
0: games. All things considered, it, it does a decent job. I mean, uh, really, Kirk and I like to pick on how dumb our laws are, but considering how quickly society and technology advances and how slow the law is to respond, we managed to cram a lot of square pegs into round holes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we we do. And one of the problem with our tax code is it has to address everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, apart from the de minimis things, but it's got to capture all the economic activity. And so it's it's incredibly it's tall order. <laughs> sprawling. Um, and there are issues that all of a sudden – uh, 10 years ago weren't an issue you know I, again I'm thinking of the frequent flyer miles yeah. Yeah. that all of a sudden are, are a critical issue that people are taking seriously and the IRS says hey we need to put some guidance out on that because well, like the people ought to
0: know what to do How about the borderless nature of the internet so everybody's consuming things on stream but I, I, one of the my favorite Hearthstone podcasts, one of the hosts is in Canada and she's you know, on the podcast at the same time as two Americans Yeah,
1: Yeah. so Uh, that just sounds like a tax nightmare to figure out how you deal with something like that. but even when we talk about this, you know, and just sort of, you know, uh, let's just pick on our listenership a little bit. You know, we have a global presence in conjunction with this podcast. Very popular in Germany and Senegal for some reason. We don't don't know, you know, this episode at the time we're recording it, we don't know which countries this is going to be listened in. Yeah, I have no you idea. know, I mean, we have a general idea based on where other episodes have been listed in, but it's very possible we would get a new subscriber from somewhere else. What countries did we implicate? You know, and at the time, at the time we we're recording this, we have no idea. Yeah, we do
0: know there's a lot of people oh. in Houston, so hello Houston, thank you.
2: <laughs> huge, huge issue right now. Um, the the uh, EU mm-hmm. and OECD are really struggling with this right now. Uh, basically, they want to figure out how they're going to get more revenue from Google and Apple. And,
1: <laughs> Which uh, are American companies. All, isn't it? all in those California. American
2: companies. That's, that's right. And so they're trying to figure out what constitutes a digital presence uh, in my country. Uh, what? Wh- how directly do you have to market into my country um, before I can tax you. And we have the same issue um, with respect to our state sales taxes. Yep. You know, we, we've had a lot of um, basically upheaval um, in, in the last two years because the Supreme Court changed the standard, and all of a sudden people are wondering, okay, what with digital goods, with, how much should be taxed? You know generally sales taxes are intangible personal properties, so mm-hmm. digital goods escape it. but should they really? Yeah. I mean, as we're looking at the economy changing uh, and more and more revenue being Drive from that. As I was watching a, a show last night, you know, they, they were uh, someone was talking about. Yeah, well, I just get my CD and uh, I uh, I put it in. And
1: the younger character on the show said, "You mean you download it?" <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's I mean that's actually a good example of things where you know we you know CDs. And actually, it was interesting because you were talking about sort of the the book reviewers. And one of the things I was thinking about is you know we were listening to content recently where they were talking about the, the vast majority of DVDs and this person's opinion that are distributed today are effectively distributed to Academy Award reviewers. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at like the number of DVDs that are generated it, for any it's movie, it's just one of those people. <laughs> the, a, a large percentage of them are now going to Academy Award viewers because they can't get streams; they have to get physical copies. And, you know, and if either like of that.
2: you know how to get on that list, <laughs> <then>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's but I joke about it because I've I've actually gone. I started off. I mean, we used to buy a lot of you know DVD. I I was one of the first consumers of a DVD player. I had the original Panasonic DVD player when it came out. Back when you could get the Panasonic or the Sony, and you had to decide which one you wanted. I had, I got the Panasonic. Um, Because I loved the format I had consumed a huge number of VHS before that And I got very strongly into DVDs And because of that I also got into buying CDs Buying a lot of physical media When iTunes came out I switched and really was not buying any physical media In the last three or four years All of a sudden like with music I have gone back to buying CDs And a lot of the reason for it is, is because I have a very old traditional iPod. Um, I I had a very old one until it was stolen and then I got like the traditional iPod. I don't run music through my phone. I run it through my iPod. My iPod does not have Wi-Fi on it. Mm. You know, it does not have the ability to connect to an external network. I have to plug it in. And that was becoming a problem. And it's the kind of thing where I'm like, could I put this on my phone? Yes, I could put this on my phone. All of my music is in, iTunes, in an iTunes library, but my phone doesn't have enough memory to do it. Now my phone could use Your some phone updating. Is old.
2: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I have a very old phone. You, you know, there are servers that'll
1: <laughs> store that music for you and just let you stream it. Yeah, <laughs> but I almost prefer sort of it. And, and the thing about it is, is I sort of almost prefer getting the disc. Because I like the ability to just sort of be, okay, I have this disc. I want to just throw it in the CD player and listen to the disc or listen to song three or whatever it might be. And if I want to do it on my iPod, fine. I'll just strip it off onto my iPod, you know, like, you know, store it in there and then I'll run it through it. But it also allows me to get music that I haven't gotten. And it's, I've gotten very recently into, it's my kids and my, my wife watch a lot of the, the, Sort from of up and coming musicians award shows we got mm-hmm. very very into pure country um, which if you guys are into country music is a show I would actually recommend because some of the people on there are good um, you know that's the, the thing with it. I bought like the CDs from like five of the con- you know, competitors on this these are iTunes old. I'm pretty sure they don't exist in physical media these are things that I would love to have. You know, if you put out a CD, I'd buy their whole CD. When I mean, you get an iTunes, you can burn it. Yeah. I mean, I can burn it through, but I would actually like it as a disc that has 12 songs on it as opposed to yeah. it being something where it's, hey, they've released three or four songs, they're going to release three or four later. I'd like to just be able to go out and physically say, I just want the disc, and I'm done. And i only make one purchase.
2: Well, and that's what a lot of people are doing with vinyl right now, yeah. right? Is, you know, there's... Uh talking about just the tangibility that, you know, there was an article and someone said, now you've got to take it out of the sleeve and now you've got to Mm -hmm. take it out of... Container, and then you have because my children have never seen how a record player and the, and, works, yeah. and, thing, and and it's this very tactile experience, and people are craving that instead of just streaming it. And of course, if even if you sit down and listen to a CD, you're more likely to listen to the whole CD, yeah. uh, or at least a significant. But that's how portion it used to be, it. right?
0: I used to know yeah. what number track all the best songs were. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah.
2: you know, side A of this album was great, and side B was awful, yeah. and you never played side B. And, I remember. Uh, so part of
1: it also, I think, was when you got the CD it was knowing like okay there's like three songs that I've heard on the radio all of which are good but this disc has got 12 songs on it Well remember did you, the first CD's you through, cool.
0: used to have hidden songs too like the last oh, yeah. track they had like 12 minutes of silence <laughs> and then like an extra song and I was just <laughs> was watching attack, but <laughs> I was watching a, a Beatles documentary eight days a week and they were showing footage after John Lennon's you know we're more popular than Jesus comment showing all the Beatles records being burned all across the country. And I thought, you guys just you have no idea at the time, you know, in the 60s. But looking back now, I'm like, how much was all that worth that you guys torched in the streets of Birmingham, you
1: know? <laughs> it, yeah. it would be, it'd be worth quite a lot today. Oh, I yeah. Well, well, at the same time, you the reason, reason those original. albums are worth so much is because somebody was destroyed. <laughs> destroyed. It's, it's why are our original Alpha Magic cards worth, the Gathering cards, worth so much? Because a lot of them it didn't, didn't survive. Because yeah. they got thrown away by parents or because the Black Lotus was just a rare at that point in time. So, you know, hey, I traded it away.
0: <laughs> well, we're running short on time, so we'll wrap this up. Yep. Mike, any, any parting thoughts for us?
1: Uh, you pay know, your
0: taxes.
2: <laughs> I Pay your taxes, absolutely. I hope most of you have refunds coming uh, this year and get, uh, get out there and spend a little money and enjoy it. Do um, your part
0: to help the economy. <laughs> do your
2: part to help the economy. But um, also, I do think we need, you know, more guidance to help. Uh, the number of people who are going to be on their own, sole proprietors, mm-hmm. independent contractors is only going to increase. And uh, as you pointed out at the beginning of this, we have a tax system that makes it much tougher to comply than it uh, makes it on many other people. Yeah. And uh, when it's tougher to comply, then very often people don't comply, and that's that's a problem as that well. That gets you into trouble, yeah. 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 Well, and it, it, we don't we don't have revenue for the government, and... And nah, like all the secondary problems
0: well I think let's do the Captain Marvel discussion another okay, time
1: you want bri- yeah, to move it on we'll move it on to a different episode yeah
0: let's do a different one because Kirk hasn't seen it yet when you might still yet maybe I, I
1: might see it I, I'm not sure I'm going to see it in the theaters I want to see it it looks really good but my kids have no interest in it and it's most of oh, the time I'm seeing it. it's you know, movies it's the, I'm seeing stuff with the kids right. right now
0: Well, we'll move that to a different episode because we're, we're up at an hour at this point so we'll wrap this one up uh, speaking of our next episode um, I think we're going to do something about music but this is um, a big topic like video games and I think we want to avoid an un- unplanned three episode arc that was well, also re- kind
1: of I think what was a bit of a rambling you know three episode yeah. arc we went through a lot of different subjects I think we want to try to break this down into a few more manageable chunks and focus on particular yes. areas at particular times so I
0: thought what we would do is go through mashups so a yep. uh, good example I was just showing Mike on the way over the, the one that comes out every Christmas the Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation make it so <laughs> which is hilarious if, if you don't know it. what it is just google Star Trek TN G, make it so Christmas <laughs> you will find it it is worth your, your 80 seconds it's definitely worth a watch and then there was the Star Wars Call Me Maybe which I which I thought was hilarious so I thought we used that as sort of a, a lens of, of into talking about the basic of these music issues which will lay the groundwork for um, you know a more detailed discussion of, of other more discreet topics down the road so um, so there's that uh, on that note uh, <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> um, uh, intended th- yeah and, and speaking of music there it is and it's time to go and now that we have the web, Page, I can shorten up our readout. So, check out our website at www.lggpodcast.com. It has links to our various platforms where you can download old episodes. And if you'd like to talk to us, we're on Twitter at lggpod. Email us at lggpodcast@gmail.com. Subscribe to us on one or more of the platforms. Give us review helps us find new listeners. You can find all this information now at our website. You can also find me on Twitter at Benjamin Ciders and Kirk is at KirkDMN. Mike, are you on social media? I am. I'm at uh, M Donovan Tax. There you go, M Donovan Tax. Uh, that's all for today. Thank you, Mike, for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Warm Thank you. Play us out.
1: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice, LLC,
0: its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri.